We're going to read beginning at verse 9 in Hebrews 10 and read down through verse 25. Let us hear together the word of the Lord. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as ye see the day approaching. Amen. May the Lord bless the public reading of his infallible word, For his name's sake. Let us take as our text the 19th verse of this chapter. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Let us pray. Gracious Father and eternal God, how we thank thee to come again to thy holy word. And we pray that as we come to consider thy word and to consider it in preparation for partaking of the elements 
of the Lord's Supper. O Father, make thy word precious in our hearts today. And we ask for the grace of thy spirit to descend upon us and to quicken us. We pray, Father, that thou would grant that I may know thee in filling with the power of the Holy Spirit for the proclamation of the word, for the exaltation of thine only begotten Son. We desire that he be exalted in our midst today. So, Lord, hear our cry, we pray. Come and strengthen us through this means of grace, the preaching of the word. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. The message of the incarnation and virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is redemption. Our Lord recognized that truth when he said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. From the moment of his conception in the womb of the Virgin Mary, our Lord was in the world to shed his blood as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice. Isaiah 53 has no meaning if not for a suffering Savior. Every Old Testament sacrifice proclaimed that truth. The seed of the woman came to shed his blood. There is no Savior except for a bleeding Savior. In the New Testament... The Gospels chronicle the procession of events that led from Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, to Calvary, where he died. The epistles expounded the meaning of Calvary and applied the truth of redemption by the blood of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus Christ from which we read earlier, the last book of the Bible, declared the truth that the blood of Jesus is the dominant theme of heaven. After the apostles left this world to be with Christ, the emphasis of the message they preached on the blood of Jesus spurred efforts by infidels to undermine it, to deny it. And people began to lose sight of the significance of the blood shedding of Christ. The Protestant reformers reasserted the truth that the blood of Christ gives power to the gospel. They drew attention to the unique sacrifice of Christ 
and preached the New Testament message that people receive forgiveness of sins only through the blood of Jesus. So we can say that the whole of the Bible dwells upon this theme. In this section of the epistle to the Hebrews that we have read today, we find the application of the truth that the priesthood of Christ is superior to the priesthood of Aaron. So that Aaron and all who came after him, and there were still priests that were active in the days of Christ and the apostles, but The priesthood of Christ is superior. Our text today in Hebrews 10 marks the transition from the doctrinal foundation of the epistle to the practical application. What are we to make of all that the Holy Spirit has taught us in this epistle? Well, we are to conclude that because We have a high priest who has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We must, in the words that we read, draw near to God. The way is open to us to draw near to God because of the blood of Jesus. In this text, we find the results of Christ's blood shedding. The emphasis of this chapter is that Christ one acceptance for his people once for all. And I suppose that that thought has weighed much upon me in the days leading up to this service. Christ one acceptance for his people. So when we come before the Lord, we come as those who know they are accepted by the blood of Christ. Christ has done his work. He will not sacrifice himself again. So we do not look for some other offering for our sins, like the works of our own hands. We have all we need in the blood of Christ. So as we look at the language of our text we face what the blood of Jesus accomplished. And I want you to fix your attention upon it this morning. Fix your attention on Christ's availing blood. We sing hymns, and we've sung some of them in our service this morning, that speak about the wonder-working power that is in the blood of the Lamb. The text on the wall behind me exhorts us to behold the Lamb of God. We have heard many sermons that remind us of the power that is in the blood of the Lamb. But we have to confess, don't we, that we tend to forget just how powerful that blood is. And it's fashionable in many quarters in our time to dismiss the theme of the blood of the Lamb as a relic from a prior period. 
So hymnal editors have consistently edited or removed hymns that deal with the blood of Christ. Modern English translations of the Bible tend to replace the word blood where it occurs in the original text with the word death. Evangelicals have been softening their emphasis on the blood theology. And some of them have been very successful. They have huge empires and large crowds, but without the blood theology, they sink into the shallow sentimentalism that is the curse of our times. There is no true Christianity without the blood of Jesus. The Free Presbyterian Church, from its inception in Ulster in 1951, is a church that preaches the blood of Jesus. And if the present age judges that message to be outmoded, antiquated, then we will still preach it because it is the message of the scriptures. There is power in the precious blood of the Lamb. So this morning, we're coming to partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper. Those elements are very simple. They remain what they are. They don't go through any transformation. The bread and the cup. And they remind us of the broken body and shed blood of Christ. Our text directs our attention to three effects of Christ's availing blood that I ask you to consider with me this morning. First of all, blood brotherhood. Blood brotherhood. In the text, we encounter the word brethren. The Jews used that word about each other, but in the context of this epistle, the word has a larger application. It refers to the brotherhood that exists among the people of Christ. How did those people whom the Holy Spirit addressed in our text, how did they become brethren? When we look at the congregation here, we find people who earlier in their lives did not know each other. They were strangers to each other. We come from various backgrounds. We have different life experiences. Our parents were different. We come from different ethnic roots. So on what basis was there any opportunity for us to feel any lasting bond with each other? Yet here we are this morning in this gathering as redeemed people and we are Brothers and sisters in the Lord. And how did it happen? Through the blood of Jesus. Jesus became like us so that he could make us his brethren. 
Let's turn back in Hebrews to chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Notice the making himself like unto his brethren was tied into his work as their high priest and the work of reconciliation, which proceeded on the ground of the blood. We don't deny that Jesus set a noble example for us in his life, but his example did not make us his brethren. We certainly confess that Jesus did many wonderful deeds, mighty miracles. John said that if all the deeds of our Lord should be written, the world could not contain the books. But those deeds did not make us his brethren. Jesus became like us to shed his blood for us, and it is the blood of Jesus that gives us a common interest in the Savior. Jesus shed his blood to take away our sins. We, we read those verses beginning at verse 11, especially the words of verse 12. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. In verse 14, by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. And in verse 18, where remission of these is, where there is forgiveness, where there is release from sin's penalty, there is no more offering for sin. There's nothing that you can add to that which Christ has done. How could we be in the right relationship with God and with each other if we were still in our sins? On what basis would the church function if the people were still guilty of their sins? But when we know the truth of justification by the blood of Jesus, then we can live together and labor together in peace and brotherhood. This transformation appeared in the life of Saul of Tarsus. Let's turn back to the Acts of the Apostles and to chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is the chapter of Saul's conversion. We're not going to deal with that event just now. But down at verse 10 we begin to read, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. I always think about that, that here was this man 
And he was known to the Lord. There, He was a disciple of Christ. We find out his name here. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. So here's the call of God to Ananias, and then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, not denying anything that Ananias said, the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, just a short time before, what was Ananias saying? I've heard of, by many, of many of this man, how much evil he hath done. Now he calls him Brother Saul. The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared to thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Brother Saul, How could Ananias, having said what he just said, come now to put his hands on him and call him Brother Saul? Only through the blood of Christ. Because here was Ananias, redeemed by the blood of Christ. And here was Saul of Tarsus. After all the wickedness, all the evil he had done, he was redeemed by the blood of Christ. And on that basis, Ananias could call him Brother Saul. Let us not lose sight of this great truth. In the blood of Jesus is forgiveness of sins. And that forgiveness means that strangers become brethren. But there's a second aspect of the text to which I draw your attention. And that is God's presence. God's presence. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest. Entering into the holiest. That's a reference, of course, as those who were Hebrews would know. That's a reference to the tabernacle first and then to the temple, the holiest. Of all, that was a place into which only the high priest went once a year with the blood of a sacrifice. The holiest was the place where God dwells, where the Shekinah glory appeared. It was the tabernacle of God. Now, as a result, of the shedding of Christ's blood, 
we who were strangers can, as brethren, enter into the holiest. There was a veil. And when Jesus died, the scriptures tell us that veil was rent in two from the top to the bottom so that the way into the holiest was signified through the blood of Jesus. If we go back to Hebrews chapter 9, we find how the blood of Jesus leads us into this sanctuary. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 7. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Verse 11, but Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He entered in, having shed his blood, We learn in verse 24 of chapter 9, Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Now, to appear in the presence of God for us. So by the blood of Jesus, we don't enter just into a place made with human hands, we enter into the place where God dwells. When we approach that divine presence, we cast our eyes down. And what do we see? The marks of the blood of Jesus leading us through the veil. Here's what the blood of Jesus has done for us. When we come to take the bread and the cup, we come to remember that it was the breaking of his body that led to the shedding of his blood. And when we take those elements, we remember what that sacrifice has done for us. It has availed to open the way for us into the holiest of all so that we come into the presence of God with our prayers and our praises. And know the reality of his acceptance. And that leads me to the third thing in our text. True communion. True communion. Having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We have boldness. That is we have authority. To come before God. We're not afraid to appear in the Lord's presence. Without the blood of Jesus, we would be terrified. But we are not afraid. We go back in Hebrews to chapter 4. Verses that often come to my mind. 
Verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. How do we come boldly? Because the blood of Jesus has opened the way for us. So what do you do? If your heart rises to condemn you when you approach the Lord, your heart rises up to say, how can you come to the Lord when you did this and that and the other thing? Remember the blood of Jesus. Remember that God is greater than your heart. The Lord's Supper proclaims the truth that we are Christ's people. That's the testimony that we raise when we assemble together at the Lord's table. We are Christ's people. He has done everything through his blood to ensure our acceptance before the throne of God. We don't have to fear. Jesus has come to make his people his brethren. And brethren and sisters with each other. And to lead them into full communion with the Father. That's what the blood of Jesus has done. May the Lord give us grace. As we come to partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper. May he give us grace to rejoice together. That Christ's blood has availed for us. It has opened the way for us and we come as those who rejoice in the truth that Christ calls us his brothers and sisters. Let us bow together in prayer. Our gracious Father and our eternal God, we thank Thee again today for the grace that Thou hast given to us to hear Thy word and to know the reality that Christ has shed His blood and has opened the way into the holiest of all. Oh, Father, we pray for the application of that blood to our hearts today. Oh, cleanse us from sin that we may approach worthily unto thy throne. Hear us, O God, we pray. Abide with us now, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.